Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jake Eisenberg here with Liam Vetus, and we're just as excited as you are for the beginning of this 2017 college baseball season, just a few days away, less than five, until Maryland takes on Ball State on Friday down in Clearwater for that Clearwater tournament, then Saturday against LSU, and Sunday against Alabama State. We're going to break down match that matchup, and later on in the podcast, we talked to Zach Jankarski, a junior outfielder for the Terps, about how he grew this summer up at the Sanford Mainers in the Northeast Collegiate Baseball League uh, and his growth as a player and as a leader on the team. And we have a really interesting interview with Teddy Cahill, a national writer for Baseball America. Um, really interesting to hear his thoughts on Maryland and how he thinks they'll progress this season and how far they might get and whether or not they can break down that super regional wall and get down uh, into Omaha this year. Um, but first, Liam, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this opening weekend series uh, down in Clearwater, Florida. I'll be honest. I couldn't be more excited to head down there. The weather is supposed to look perfect. 70 degrees and sunny on Friday, 60s, mid-60s with a nice breeze Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I'm bragging maybe a little bit, uh, but it should be it should be a really nice weekend to, to open up 2017. I know this, this weekend itself has been on your radar since, what, May, last April? I mean, we're hitting like three, four hundred days since this, since this opening series was on your radar. And uh, you're lucky. You're going to get in some pretty nice weather and some great baseball. It'll be a nice facility, too, Spectrum Field. That's the spring training home of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, it's also the minor league home of the Clearwater Threshers, uh, one of the Phillies minor league teams. And that's where Maryland's going to open up their season. So that's really a good place to start as any, Liam. And, you know, what better place to start than with Friday night, the opening night of the year. Maryland ranked 22nd in the nation. You know, they're around the, the mid to mid-20s, 22, 24, 25, uh, across kind of the, some of the major polls, D1 Baseball, Baseball America, perfect game. Um, officially, so to speak, we'll say they're 22. Um, and they take on the Ball State Cardinals in the first game of the season. Ball State, uh, a member of the MAC Conference, went 32-26 and 26 in 2016. And, you know, we know pretty much who's going to be able to start, who's going to start on Friday for Maryland. It's going to be Brian Schaefer on Friday, Taylor Bloom on Saturday. And, and Sunday we'll see whether it's Hunter Parsons, Tyler Bloom. Um, that remains to be announced. But Friday we're going to see Brian Schaefer. And I think all signs, at least from the research that we've done, points to B.J. Butler as the guy that the Cardinals are going to throw out there uh, on Friday night. Butler, a right-hander, 6-1, 1.84 ERA last year. Didn't make a ton of starts, just two of them, but made 25 appearances. He was pretty much their closer, nine saves. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a good opening game. Certainly a game where they can get their pregame jitters out. You know, obviously the first game of the season, you don't want to have those jitters going up against number 12, Louisville. And... Um, you know, I, I think this will be a tougher Ball State team than maybe they expect going in. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Ball State had a really tough schedule last year, and they performed pretty well. Yeah, they took on, you know, Oregon State at Oregon State when the Beavers uh, were top 10 team in the country. They had some midweek games against Indiana and Purdue, which are some teams that, that Maryland's going to see later on this season. Um, so it's certainly a, a tested bunch of Cardinals, and while it might not be the best Cardinal team of that weekend, uh, certainly a good kind of litmus test for Maryland to see where they are on Friday and a, and a good way to get, you know, like you said, some of those jitters out before they see Louisville on Saturday. Uh, and that's a matchup that I think this Maryland team is really, really looking forward to um, because, you know, Maryland's a team that, you know, started to get a lot more national recognition this year, being ranked in the polls, having All-Americans left and right, top prospects left and right. Um, to the, so to go up against a, a Louisville, a top 15 team, uh, even if it's just one game, to... To be able to say, 
hey, we beat Louisville or we played really well against Louisville, I think that that would give Maryland a huge boost of confidence and, and kind of say to them, okay, we, we're right here with these guys uh, going forward into the season. So that's something that, that's a game that's certainly circled uh, on, the on the Terps calendar. Of course, they got to play ball state first, but then Louisville on Saturday, and boy, is their roster stacked, Liam. Right. Right, and we, we were talking about this Maryland team last year. They were so young. They have so many freshmen who are going to be plugged in in starting roles, and a lot of them showed flashes of, of what this team can do, and I think that definitely attracted a lot of attention from national writers. Obviously, they crack the polls in the preseason. They start off at, uh, I believe it's number 23, and um, you know this is, this is a team that's, that's definitely worth, worth looking at, especially you know being that lone-ranked Big Ten team. Yeah, and, you know, touching on Louisville and their roster, I think things start, they have to start with Brendan McKay. I mean, this is a guy who came in freshman All-American season, first-team All-American, uh, and, oh, he's the back-to-back -back winner of the John Olrude Two-Way Player Award, which is not something that is given out lightly. I mean, this is a guy that plays the field and is their ace on the mound Friday night, so Maryland won't see him or won't face him, presumably, if he continues in that Friday slot. But McKay, last year, I mean, the numbers were, were mind-boggling. Uh, and then this summer, he goes and plays for the USA Collegiate National Team. Hits 326, no big deal. Goes 2-1 and one on the hill with a 1.35 ERA and 10 strikeouts in 13 innings. I mean, this is a guy who's being listed as one of the top 10 picks in the draft. Certainly a first-round uh, projectable player. And, uh, I mean, he's somebody that, I mean, I'm personally excited to see play. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly someone that's going to stand out on the field. But Maryland won't have to, won't have to face him necessarily. Uh, at the plate if he's going to be their Friday guy, as he was last year. But I assume he'll be hitting, though, regardless of Oh, he'll not. be in the lineup. He'll so the they'll lineup. still have to face him. It's not like they're completely avoiding Brendan McKay. I don't think there is any avoiding Brendan McKay. I don't want to overhype him. Right. It's just, you know, when you look at the numbers from Louisville, you know, last season, a year when they had a 50-win year, 50-14, and 22-8 in the ACC, I mean, for the second straight year, they couldn't get out of their own regional. They lost two straight to UC Santa Barbara. Um, but this is a Louisville team that's, you know, right up there in ACC baseball. And, of course, you know, the ACC is an absolute gauntlet with teams like Clemson in there, Miami in there, FSU, all teams that were, you know, in the regionals last year. So this is a really, really good test for Maryland early on this season. And uh, fun fact about it, this is actually the first ACC team that Maryland is going to play since joining the Big Ten. Uh, last year, the Terps were supposed to play Pittsburgh in a midweek game, but it got rained out and it was never rescheduled. Um, so this will be, I guess you could say, Maryland's return to the ACC in one capacity or another. Um, but in any case, it, it should be really exciting. Now, you know, based on whatever research that Liam and I could do, uh, we kind of tried to figure out who their Saturday guy might be, who Maryland might face, and we came up with Cade McClure. Um, and this is a guy, 6'7", right-hander. He's another big dude. Um, last year, sparkling, 12-0, 2.54 ERA, 77 strikeouts in 70 innings. And this summer... He played in the Cape Cod Baseball League. He was on the Brewster team. Uh, only three starts, 19 innings, but, you know, fared well at a 2-5 ERA-ish. Um, but, you know, he, he'll, he'll know Nick Dunn. Uh, Dunn playing for Brewster this summer in the Cape, the two of them teammates. So they'll more than likely face one another on Saturday. And, you know, now, uh, I think now that we, we know or are focusing a little bit more on these summer teams and we're able to better hone in on these relationships between these players, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how lucky is Louisville to not only have one 12-win starter who can also do it with the bat, who's a top-ten pick, but they've got a guy like Cade McClure who is an All-American, 
who also notched up 12 wins, had a perfect 12-0 and record, 2.54 ERA. I mean, Louisville is loaded. And, you know, just because you're not facing the Friday guy doesn't mean you're getting a breeze by by any means. I mean, Kay McClure is going to be equally as tough. Well, as there's, a reason, there's a reason they're the number 12 team in the country. Baseball America had them top 10 at number 7. Um, so, I mean, this is this is like, you know, playing your – you know Michigan or Ohio State if you want to you know align it with college football I mean this is a this is a top tier baseball program there's no doubt about that that's not saying that Maryland can't beat them in fact I think they have a very as good a chance of beating Louisville as anybody does especially with Taylor Bloom on the mound on Saturday a guy who had more starts than walks last season was second in the nation in uh in in whip or strikeout to walk ratio whatever it was I mean the guy didn't walk anybody um he's a control artist he's going to be the same way this year um, certainly a guy that is going to eat innings for Maryland. And the Terps, with the pitching staff that they have, and, you know, if you haven't already, uh, you can head to MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, check out our, our positional previews. We've been breaking down the infield, the outfield, uh, the starting rotation, and the, the bullpen as well. This is a Maryland pitching staff that is super deep with, with Schaefer, Bloom uh, as the one-two punch, uh, Parsons and Blome and Saturday, uh, on Sunday, excuse me, and the midweek in some capacity, a bullpen with Selmer, Racino, uh, a couple other guys uh, in the works as well. I mean, this is a really good Maryland team. Also, this is this is not something to to sneeze at. Not something that Louisville is going to look across the diamond and say, "Oh, we're definitely going to handle these guys." Uh, this is going to be a really really competitive baseball game. So I'm excited to see it on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of guys who, like I mentioned earlier, guys who were freshmen and now sophomore, guys who are sophomores and now juniors. So if there was a team that's going to catch Louisville off guard, maybe it's a maybe it's a guy like Bloom on the mound who you mentioned, a guy who just doesn't make mistakes. A guy who doesn't make mistakes, and, and you know that's certainly a way that Maryland could could sneak out a victory against this top program. If not, they should definitely play them close and play them competitively. It'll certainly be a game that I think a lot of uh, pundits will kind of have their eyes on. Uh, Maryland is a bit more of an unknown, to be fair, than than Louisville is. You know, last year, you know, the the, the mantra was inexperience. This year, it's experience. I guess you could say, with everyone being a year older. Um, but there are still some people, I think, that are skeptical of how good Maryland can be. So this is this will be a good kind of way to gauge what this team truly is. And I think it's fair to be skeptical. I mean, this was a team that was 30 and 27 that was expected to be better and didn't and, and played a lot of 500 ball. Couldn't couldn't establish you know longer winning streaks. So I think it is fair to be skeptical of this Maryland squad. Again, a Maryland squad that doesn't have very many seniors in their starting lineup or any in their rotation. Right. Now, it's not too common for, for the better teams to have seniors in them, given that, you know, the better players you have, the more likely they're going to go to the draft. So, right. to have so many seniors is, is to say, isn't to say that your team is bad, it's just no. to say your guys have stuck around. Um, but I think that it, with Maryland's case, the inexperience was definitely there last year. We saw it kind of in the midweek games. We saw it, you know, a little bit in, uh, in weekend series, it showed a lot, you know, during that Rutgers series that was certainly one that, that knocked Maryland back a peg, certainly in the Big Ten, probably in the NCAA committee point of view. Um, that's one they'll certainly look to avenge this year uh, when they go up to Piscataway. Um, but I think for the Terps, you know, Nick Dunn is back, Kevin Smith is back, Zach Jankarski's back, Schaefer, Bloom, all back. The only big pieces that have departed, and there are only three guys that have departed, really, Mike Schwarn, Rob Galligan, and Anthony Papio. Papio's now a coach. Schwarren, you know, is with the Red Sox organization, not to say that he's been replaced, because I don't know how you necessarily fully replace a guy like that, but it certainly helps when you got Bloom and Schaefer, who performed better than Schwarren did last year, both coming back. So Maryland in a great spot right now. 
um, opening weekend should be really exciting. And then the last the last matchup Sunday, uh, we should touch on the Alabama State Hornets as well. Um, this is a good Hornets team. Made their first NCAA tournament appearance last year, winning the SWAC Conference Championship. Uh, they went 38-17, and undefeated run in the SWAC, really just blowing away their competition. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out with Alabama State this year. A brand-new head coach, Mervo Melendez, going over to FIU. They're bringing in Jose Vasquez. Um, but four straight 30-win seasons for the Hornets. Um, a couple, you know, really big pieces for them coming back, and that'll be a really interesting Sunday matchup. Uh, forever takes the hill for the Terps, whether it's Parsons or Blome. Yeah, and Alabama State can sure hit, and they, they hit very well last year. They're two... Uh, top home run guys will be returning. Carlos Acacia, who batted third and will man center field, and the third baseman, Ray Hernandez. Uh, them two combined had 28 home runs. They were amongst the top five and top ten in nearly every hitting category in the SWAC. And, um, you know, don't don't expect those guys to, to pass up on a lot of pitches. Yeah, and Acacia, you know, was the conference player of the year last year. They also have Eric White, who was the freshman player of the year in the SWAC last year. So, Really, this is a strong tournament that Maryland is opening the season with, and, well, it, it's keeping with what John Sheff has done at the helm of the Terps over the past few years. Really, really strong in the non-conference. Build up, you know, that experience, that grit for Maryland. So come regional time, you know, you've seen that kind of competition, and uh, Maryland will be ready for it. So I think it'll be a really strong opening weekend. Uh, certainly excited to head down to, to Florida this weekend and uh, and get things going in this 2017 season. It feels like we've been talking about it and building up to it for so long and you know now it's here now it's here you know I got my scorebook the other day I got the four colored pens you know we're ready to go oh you got those four colored <laughs> pens now you're gonna be in Florida I was looking up Alabama State just to see um you know try and try and get some interesting facts because obviously Ball State uh is is a much more well-known athletic program Louisville's obviously a top 15 program they were top 10 I was like hmm, let's see what we can cover about Alabama State now Alabama State has a few notable alumni, alumni, but I'll I'll point out three. Number one, fairly long time quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings during the ugly years, Tavares Jackson. Hey, don't forget when he uh, when he came out in the jacket to do the coin flip at, to begin overtime with the Seahawks. That's no, true. Does that, does that ring a bell? Is that like a really veiled Tavares Jackson reference? I mean, when I think of Tavares Jackson, I think of the guy after. Uh, what was it, Culpepper on Minnesota? I, uh, the mid-2000s years, the years where Adrian Peterson was just a monster and they didn't have a lot of passing games. There's also two chains in Ligotti. I don't know if you're going to look forward hey, to maybe see. they'll come. Maybe they'll come. Listen, Ligotti's pretty busy. He had a uh, pretty popular Target commercial, which was uh, everything that Twitter was talking about for like a hot 30 minutes. Look, I, I promise you this to everybody listening to this podcast. Uh, I promise you two things. The first is that more than likely, we will never again bring up Two Chains or Lil Yachty if you know who they are. Um, if you do know who they are, I can also promise you that if they are there this weekend, I will I will figure out a way to get them either on the air or or record an interview of some kind uh, with Yil Lil Yachty and Two Chains. I expect that a would tag. Be <laughs> I expect a tag uh, from uh, either one of them. This is Two Chains, and you're listening to Maryland Baseball <laughs> Network. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing? We can we can try and make this happen, but yeah. That, those are my two promises. We're either going to get interviews with them uh, or not. Or, and this is the most likely of the two, you'll never hear about them again on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Well, now I want to find a way to get them <laughs> to find a related stay, note to, to put them back on Stay, you. Stay tuned. Well, as we mentioned, there's, there's a lot to get to in this episode of the podcast. We'll chat with 
Teddy Cahill, a national writer for Baseball America, a little bit later on. Uh, but first, we'll welcome in Zach Jankarski, a junior outfielder for the Terps. And Zach, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Uh, I want to start with you, Zach. Just, you know, this summer up with the Sanford Mainers in Maine. First off, what was it like being that far north? Well, it was my first time uh, definitely being that far away from home uh, for that extensive uh, period of time. But as a whole, you know, I had a really good experience. It was uh, it was definitely good baseball. Um, I was fortunate enough to be with a good group of guys and uh, play a lot of games, uh, a lot of road trips and stuff, but I'm pretty used to that by now. And then, uh, yeah, as far as the talent goes, you know, it was definitely a very productive summer, and uh, I'm pretty appreciative of it. Now, there are a bunch of Michigan guys on your team, Mikeo Thomas, Johnny Slater. What was it like getting to know them, and, you know, are you excited to then play them later on this spring? Yeah, absolutely. Those are They're great guys. Um, I had a really good experience with them. Um, I mean, we kind of gelled right away um, just being in the Big Ten together. There was some jokes and stuff going on, but it was all friendly. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure there's a little bit of bragging rights going back and forth. No, too. absolutely. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, it, it'll be a fun uh, series for sure. But, um, yeah, nothing but good things to say about those guys. Now, you had a pretty successful summer as well for the team, you know, making it all the way to that championship series, but also for you individually, you know, hitting over 280, getting all-star recognition. What did that summer mean for you in your growth as a player? Yeah, well, I, I just do the best I can every summer to, to uh, get the most out of it. And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a pretty good summer. Um, I mean, basically, I, I, I set some goals before the summer starts as far as, like, really what I want to work on and um, before this um, past summer I really wanted to focus on uh, my base stealing um, as well as um, you know driving the baseball um, hitting more doubles um, obviously keeping my average up but and then um, continuing to play uh, good center field but um, yeah you know I just uh, I did the best I could to stay locked in for for the entire summer I know sometimes that's hard to do especially being far away from home and um, with the amount of games you play but uh yeah, I just um, I was fortunate enough to have a good summer, and I, I hope to keep that going uh, for the spring. Now, you listed a handful of traits that you wanted to work on over the summer. Which do you think you came the furthest along with? Which do you think you progressed the most with? Um, I think uh, probably um, just my bat, my hitting. Um, you know, obviously that's so important in this game. I mean, if you hit, you don't sit, as, as they like to say. So, um you know, I, I think I've developed a little bit um, as far as my plate discipline goes, not really swinging at bad pitches. Um, I spent the majority of the summer uh, at the top of the order, so um, kind of I'm in a similar role right now, so I got used to that. Um, basically, like in the past, I've, I've kind of been like a little bit of a slap hitter, just hit the ball on the ground and get on base, but um, over time I've, I've realized that I could, get, I could start driving baseballs, hitting doubles and stuff like that too, so... Um, I think I did a good job with that as the summer went along. And um, um, also uh, my base stealing, too. I mean, last year um, we didn't steal a whole bunch as a team. But um, talking to Coach Vaughn and um, some of the guys um, on our team, I mean, this year we're looking to run a lot more. So obviously that's going to be a huge part of my game individually. So I did my best to uh, kind of push the envelope um, as far as that goes when I was on base, um, seeing really – what how much I could get and um there were times when I made mistakes on the bases and stuff like that so I I knew I know kind of where I stand with that as a, as the season comes along so you mentioned how you're kind of in a similar situation this spring you're going to start the season at the top of the lineup trying to get on base stuff like that um last year a really good strikeout to walk ratio I think you had 13 walks 16 strikeouts something along those lines but pretty pretty even 
Um, when that men- with that mentality, when you go up to the plate, you know, lead off a game, you know, you mentioned how you're, you were kind of a slap hitter, you know, going back. Are you still looking to kind of, you know, get the ball in play, get on the ground and, and use your speed to get on base? Or is it more of a sit back and wait and take what's given to you? Well, I think each, uh, each at-bat um, really differentiates from each other. But at, at the same time, to lead off a game, I um, obviously my goal is to um, see as many pitches as possible so that the guys behind me um, get a good look at the starter and, and what, they're, uh, what he's got for that day. But other than that, um, if it's my second, third at bat of the game, um, you know, if I'm if, if I'm if I'm up with nobody on, or there's a man on second base, um, you know, I'm looking to drive the ball over the shortstop or second baseman's head, and then um, get it get myself in the scoring position so guys like Nick Dunn and Marty Casas and Kevin Smith could drive me in after that. So um, realistically, like I like in regards to your question, it really it, it really just depends on the situation. But um, I think my skill set has. Uh, gotten a little bit bigger since um, I first got here. So I, I have more options to, to use as opposed to always looking to drag bun or slapping something through the, through the hole and then uh, using my speed from there. So Now, before we kind of move on to this spring, just a little bit to finish up on the summer, uh, I know you got a couple of chances to see Jamal Wade on the mound against you. He was playing with the Keene Swamp Bats. You were with the Sanford Mainers. I mean, first off, was it weird seeing him up on the hill when you're used to kind of seeing him to the, your left or to your right in the outfield? Is he, has he transitioned fully into uh, a P? It's actually really <laughs> it's really funny about that because uh, I remember the first time we played them um, when he, he came in, um, I think, in the seventh or eighth inning uh, to pitch, just one inning. And obviously when they announced his name from Maryland, <clears throat> a lot of guys came up to me who were hitting that inning um, kind of asking me what he's got. And I was like, Honestly, he's not a pitcher. Um, he's like, <laughs> it'll be fine. Like, just go up there, sit fastball. Like, he has a good arm, but at the same time, like, yeah, like you should be good. And they're like, okay, whatever. I think he struck out the side that inning, and he had. Yeah, he he showed you, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fortunately, at that time, I I uh, I didn't face him that that um at bat even the, or that inning, even though I really wanted to. But um, the three guys, I, I remember the first two came back. After Jamal, I think struck him out on like a like a nasty curveball or something like that, kind of looking at me like like it was almost my fault. But um, yeah, that was, was he thinking maybe, hey, hey, these are two Maryland guys, and he he could have given us the lowdown, <laughs> but he didn't intentionally because he wants his teammate to do well. I, I'm not gonna lie, I I was as dumbfounded as they were because <laughs> uh, they came back kind of like, what was that? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I have no idea. So I mean, but that was that was pretty cool. Um, it's always fun to play guys on your team over the summer. Um, we had a pretty good rivalry. Um, throughout the entire summer with him, so it was good. Yeah, he finished pretty strong as well. 21 strikeouts in just over 11 innings. Did you did you get a chance to face him at all? Uh, I didn't face him once over the summer. I uh, Just this fall was the first time. I, I, I know we were uh, texting before every single game, like, maybe today's the day, like, I'm ready, <laughs> like, like, but um, stuff like that. But, yeah, I actually never got a chance to uh, face him in the summer. So moving on, you know, kind of towards the fall and now the spring, um, the first thing that I, that I noticed about you, you know, when we all came back to campus, is that you changed your number. Uh, no longer wearing number seven, wearing number three, which was formerly Anthony Papio's number. Um, and I guess first off, you know, what kind of went into that switch? Was three a number that you had always wanted but Papio had? Or was it, you know, in some ways something that he gave to you? Um, yeah, so last year at the end of the year, um, I've always looked up to Pap as a player and a person, and uh, he's kind of helped me. Um, kind of get to where I am right now as far as mentally and physically. Um, he kind of kept me under his wing um, as I was an underclassman. But uh, at the end of the year, last year, uh, he came up to me and kind of um, brought the idea up as uh, 
three uh the, uh, the number three basically um was give or coach Vaughn gave that to him that kind of re- represents the uh three pillars of a Maryland baseball player which is toughness approach and intensity so um kind of someone who uh represents that the most and he brought it up to me and he said you know don't you don't have to give me an answer right now just think about it um and uh I went home and honestly like it didn't take me long to I mean, I think that's a that's a huge honor. I mean, the way he plays the game. Um, we're fortunate enough to have him still as a coach with us now. So, but um, yeah, I took that um, number pretty quickly after I I told Coach Vaughn that I would be in to do that, and you know, it's a huge honor to me. But I think it comes with a lot of responsibility too, um, especially having someone like that before me wear it. Um, you know, there's 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 times when you're going to want to get upset, get frustrated, um, maybe like do something like throw your helmet or something like that. But um, that's not really what he would do or, or what that number represents to the program. So, I mean, it's just kind of like on the field, off the field, everything that goes with that. And I think that's made me almost a better person and a player. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a great honor um, to have that. Yeah, I think there. Are, what's interesting about this to me, Zach, is that uh, it seems like there are some distinct differences between you and Papio, at least personality-wise. You know, he's a very kind of reserved, lead-by-example kind of guy. And, you know, you lead by example, too, but you're much more outgoing. You have a bigger personality. You know, I see you yelling and screaming on the bench with Biondic because God <laughs> knows what's coming out of his mouth at any <laughs> given time. But and now, now transitioning from that underclassman that was, you know, taken under Papio's wing, and, you know, you're going to be the center fielder directing that outfield as an upperclassman now. And the leadership that comes with that, with Costas in right next to you, whoever is in, in left, whether it's Maddie, Will, or, or whoever, you know, how have you kind of grown as as a leader throughout the fall and the beginning of the spring? Yeah, um, you know, basically, I've when, I, when I've talked to other teammates and stuff like that about um, the whole, like, new leadership position and stuff, you know, the number one thing they would tell me is, you know, don't don't change who you are. And because the way I am, I've, I've always been someone that's pretty outgoing. I like to keep things as loose as possible because, I mean, as you all know, it's a, it's a pretty frustrating game and there's a lot of ups and downs and stuff like that. So, you know, I just, I do my best to lead by example. I think, I think that, um, you know, being out there all the time, you know, if someone's struggling or, or having a bad day, just lifting them up for that moment, you know, cracking a joke, making them smile, stuff like that. I think that goes a long way. Um, as far as I, I just want to bring the best out of everyone around me as, as often as I can. And, you know, like someone like a Papio was there when, you know, I was a little bit more immature, maybe my freshman year and I was upset about it that bad or the way practice went or something off the field. And he, he was really good at kind of getting me to lock in and, even even if he had to crack a joke or do something like that to get me back locked in. So, you know, I do the best I can um, to kind of replicate that as far as, you know, keeping everyone loose, but at the same time um, as locked in as they possibly can for, for the given day and, and the task at hand. So I just do my best as far as that goes, and it's been it's been going pretty well so far. Now, I know you haven't been number three for very long, but so far in the fall and winter as we lead up to the spring, has there been a specific moment where you have – felt that number three on the back of your jersey and you felt that there was a time where where you needed to step in you know not not necessarily um it's not like i'm like i have like a c on my shirt or anything crazy <laughs> like that I, I i just wear it knowing that you know there's a little bit more uh, i'm a little bit more under the microscope now a little bit i guess um and 
Um, you know, I'm not, I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. I'll never be like that. I'm going to do the best I can to be the same guy and to do my, do my best and lead by example. Um, but, you know, there hasn't really been a moment where, like, oh, like I got to do something here because I'm this. It's just more like just continuing to be the guy I am every single day regardless of the situation. This year, you know, when you look at this team, I was very young a year ago. Now everyone's, well, a year older. So am I. So is Liam. Uh, I mean, that's kind of how things work. But a year older now, the experience is last year, finishing 30-27 and 27 and, you know, making a run in the Big Ten tournament but ultimately falling in the semifinals. Um, what have you guys learned from that as a team to take into this year and, you know, trying to make that push to, to get past the Super Regionals in Omaha? You know, I think the extra year on everybody's belt is going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, there's kind of a different – mindset and and attitude at the field now like every single day there's I mean our lineup went from being I guess quote-unquote inexperienced to being one of the most dangerous lineups in the country in one year so you know I mean I, I try we I mean as far as how we look at our season coming up I mean obviously we have the talent we have the uh the coaches the um the bullpen the offense the defense everything you need but at the same time like nothing's going to be given to us. And at the same time, we haven't won a Big Ten championship yet. So we can't look too far ahead of ourselves as far as that goes. But um, kind of like Coach Chef preaches, you know, take it one day at a time. Um, and you'll look up the end of the at the end of the season and we'll be in a spot where we want to be. But, um, you know, it's definitely exciting. I'm, I've never been as excited as this to start a season in my entire life. And I know a lot of guys feel the same exact way. Um, it's definitely going to be really exciting. But, yeah, as long as we take it one step at a time, and if every guy, you know, uses their role and accepts that and, and does what they have to do, we're going to look up here in uh, in a few months and be really happy where we're at. And we, we touched on your role this season kind of at the beginning of our conversation, how, you know, you're going to be a top-of-the-lineup guy getting on base, scoring runs. And, I mean, when you came here as a freshman, I'm pretty sure that 17 of your 19 appearances or something like that freshman year were all pinch runs, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of just an interesting thing in and of itself. And then last year, you know, 40 or so games you played, half of them starts, and a lot more towards the end of the year. So I guess what started to change towards the end of the year, and how did you start to capitalize on those opportunities to kind of drive yourself towards the summer and now coming back around? Well, I mean, obviously there's nine there's nine positions in baseball, and when you're not playing, it's really easy to get frustrated and stuff like that. But um, kind of Coach Vaughn preaches that, you know, if you don't like, he, he says something that I really agree with. And if you don't like your role, do something to change it. That's what he says all the time. And I mean, realistically, that's, that's so true. I mean, whether it, it, every single day coming out to the field with the same exact attitude, um, coach chef always says, you know, be the same exact guy every single day, like know what you're getting every, on an everyday basis when you come to the field. And basically last year, I just did the best I could to stay positive at all times. You know, um, in the beginning of the year, I mean, I, I was starting on opening day, and then as time went on, you know, I, I Marty started heating up, and I started had a different role. And, you know, at the same time, like, it would have been very easy for me to be uh, kind of frustrated um, and whatnot. But, you know, I did the best I can to do, like I said, and come to the field every day with the mindset that, you know, I'm going to be ready when my opportunity is called. And then uh, – I guess that's that's exactly what happened. So I just um, I did the best I could to to run with my opportunities, and then um, and then yeah, the rest the rest is kind of history. Well, as has been customary on the podcast over the last I guess however many episodes, uh, and in line with you know this week being the start of 
pitchers and catchers report in the major leagues. I'm going to put you on the spot, Zach. It's your World Series pick. Oof. I mean, I know you're I know you're a Phillies guy, and I don't. I mean, I hope I'm not offending you when I say they probably don't have a shot. No, this year. yeah, not this year. <laughs> um, if I'm going to pick somebody right now, Mets. I'm, I mean, I think they're going to go. They're going to go deep, but I, I'm. Don't. I'm not going to lie. I think I think uh, the Cleveland Indians have the best shot right now with their with their recent signing of Edwin Encarnacion and their pitching staff and their youth as well. I think they have a very good chance. So I'm, I'm going to put my thumb on them right now. All right. What about what about a player in the majors? Is there someone that you kind of model yourself <laughs> after? I realize yeah. I'm putting you on the spot no, with back-to-back ones here. Yeah, actually, I mean, if you ask anybody on the team, not too many other players on the team are a big fan of him, but I'm I'm just a huge fan of Kevin Pillar for the uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jays. He the leather all the time. Yeah, I've always, ever since he came to the league, I've uh, I've followed him, and I've just uh, I've been a huge, huge fan of him. So that's that's the kind of guy I uh, try and model my game after. All right, well, best of luck uh, this coming season. We'll look forward to seeing you on the field, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely, I appreciate you having me. Always great to talk to Jank, an exciting player and just an overall fun guy to be around. Now we're going to switch gears a bit and talk about the Terps as a whole and how they fit into the college baseball picture on a national scale. Jake had the chance to catch up with Teddy Cahill, a national writer for Baseball America. Uh, I want to start with your, your Big Ten preview that you came out with a few days ago. You have Maryland as the number 24 team in the nation and a consensus pick to win the Big Ten. When they came up in that top 25 conversation, what was the discussion like? Uh, well, we met on, you know, the way Baseball America does its uh, polls, the college staff meets and, uh, you know, we just kind of hash it out. And um, so we brought up Maryland, uh, you know, as the, the Big Ten favorite. Uh, we talked about a couple other Big Ten teams at the time. Um, and, you know, we all pretty well agreed that Maryland was the favorite. And so we talked about flying them into the back of the, the you know, in, in the back of the rankings where they are essentially. And, um, you know, just, it, it's about what they have coming back pretty much. Uh, and, and they return an awful lot. And there's some really talented players there, of course, Kevin Smith, Nick Dunn, uh, Bloom and Schaefer in the rotation. And so we, we felt like they, um, you know, that they were deserving of, of being ranked. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of, kind of where they fell but you know it mostly starts with just how much they have coming back and the talent of those players that are returning right there's not really many pieces at all that have departed from Maryland just Mike Schwarn I mean of course all-time leader in innings pitched wins strikeouts I mean you name it it's a big piece to be missing but when you have guys like Brian Schaefer and Taylor Bloom coming back I guess it's you know a good place to start as any two guys that had more starts than walks last season and well, at least Shaper's starting to get some some uh, attention, at least on prospects. Like you guys have him as your number seven, uh, number five prospect for 2017. So, how has he kind of uh, been projecting, starting to receive attention? When you look at him and uh, Bloom, for that matter, I mean, like like you mentioned, they they throw an awful lot of strikes, and so that uh, you know that that's a, a great starting point uh, for a pitching prospect. But he's <laughs> Philosophy, you know, gained into the low 90s, and he's proven that he can throw a lot of innings. Uh, he did that last year, and uh, he'll be asked to do that again this year. And you know, he has a lot of pieces that, that you start looking at, and, and that, that look like starter traits. And so that's that's kind of what what people are looking at when they look at him. And uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see how he goes along this spring, how he um, 
whether he's able to gather momentum or, or, or what, but I think right now that, that he is very very much an intriguing prospect as we look towards the, the draft in June. And what about some of the younger arms? Hunter Parsons came on strong late last season. Tyler Bloma, a freshman, could potentially be you know a superstar from the left side for these Terps, and it's unclear which of those two is going to end up in that Sunday role. But I have to think, at least from my vantage point, that Maryland makes a case for having the best weekend rotation in the conference. I think that is completely fair. Um, Nebraska, way out west, uh, is going to uh, have something to say about that. But I think those are the two clear ones. And I think um, Maryland is a little more defined right now. Nebraska has an incredible amount of arms, as does Maryland. But um, in Maryland, you can pencil in or put in you can put in ink two guys at the front of the rotation, and Nebraska can't quite do that right now. So it, it makes you feel a little bit better about. Uh, what Maryland has, but as for um, you know Parsons and and uh, Bloom, you know they they are very two very interesting young arms, and, and Maryland has more arms than um, than I think people maybe even realize that you know okay yes you lost Mike Schwarren you lost the unicorn, but this staff has a chance to be one of the deepest staffs that they've had. You know you got Parsons, you got Ank, you got Bloom. Uh, you have options here, and there are options in the bullpen. Um, and some of these guys that, that don't win the third, the third or the fourth starter spot are going to go to the bullpen and, and help them there as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they sort it out. Uh, but there's certainly the pieces there to uh, to put together a really nice rotation and a bullpen. And really, I mean, a lot of these arms are coming off some great summers. Cameron Ank with the you know record ERA in the Perfect Game League, and Tyler Blom. Pitching in the Ripken League got his first taste of college competition. Uh, Hunter Parsons was the Cal Ripken League Pitcher of the Year. So I think you can make an argument, Teddy, that this Maryland rotation, even without Schwarm, might be even better than last season's, no? I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable argument to make. Um, Mike Schwarm, frankly, last year was not as good as he had been. Um, there were times when he flashed it, but uh, you know, he... Losing him hurts. It, it absolutely hurts. But they have developed depth there. They've recruited very well. They have they've had a range of recruiting classes. They are now at a point where they can have depth and afford to lose a guy that gets drafted in the fifth round that pitched for Team USA that, that has all these crew records. They can afford to lose that and, and be able to make it up um, because they, they have been able to build up the depth of their pitching staff over the last few years. And I guess sticking with the pitching side of things, going from kind of the starters to the bullpen, another guy, at least from my perspective, that wasn't really getting too much attention but has seemingly caught fire over the last few months or so at the back end of the bullpen is Mike Racino coming out of the Ripken League as one of the top prospects, one of the top seniors drafted last, uh, last June but didn't sign with the Giants, coming back now, reports of him touching 97. I mean, what do you expect out of him this season? And then, you know, where do you see his stock come this draft? He is a, a very interesting um, piece to have. I know Maryland was very excited that he decided not to sign, that, that he's coming back and they're going to, you know, he can anchor the back of a bullpen. Um, where he goes this spring in June will be very, very interesting to see if he's legitimately going to be a guy that goes out and throws 97 an awful lot. Like, that is very interesting. He's not been pitching for all that long. I came so, as an infielder. I mean, he was. I mean, he's a converted third baseman. Yeah. And, um, it's really so, I mean, fascinating. He's only been doing this, yeah, he's only been doing this pitching thing for a couple of years. 
Um, you know, so you, you get you when you look at him from a pro perspective, you know, there's a lot. He's a fresher arm, and he's still learning. And if you put him with, uh, you know, if you're a pro team, you, you figure if you you get him in, you put him with your instructors, and you'll be able to to help him continue his development. He has a lot of raw pieces. I don't know exactly what that translates to in the draft, and I'm not sure a lot of people do right now. He's going to – area scouts are really going to have to bear down on him in the spring. Um, but if he goes out and performs and continues to show some of the velos that we've been hearing, uh, he could be he could be a pretty good draft prospect. Yeah, it'll be something that's, uh, that's very interesting to see. And, you know, speaking of draft prospects, you know, a nice little segue to talk about, I guess, the you could say the face of Maryland baseball right now, Kevin Smith. Uh, a consensus pick for conference player of the year. He's being mentioned in draft projections as, as a first-rounder. be Maryland's first-rounder, I think, since Brett Cecil um, back in 07. And, I mean, Smith's another guy who pretty much came out of nowhere in terms of national recognition. Well, he was very confusing to me over the last 12 <laughs> months. He, um, he, he had, a, had such a great freshman year. When I did this preview... A year ago, I put him number two, I think, on, um, yeah, almost positive. He was number two uh, 2017 uh, draft uh, in the league. And then he went out and he hit 250, and I was confused. Uh, and then he goes to the Cape, and he's having this really good Cape, and people are talking about how good he is. And I was just trying to trying to square all this information. It was, was difficult for me, and frankly, I underranked him uh, coming out of the Cape as a result. Uh, but he, he, his cape really impressed high-level people. He had a good fall. Um, and the way we do our preseason All-Americans at Baseball America is that MLB scouting directors vote on them. And so he got elected first-team All-American by the scouting directors. So that tells you a little bit about where um, you know, his, his prospect status is. It's an interesting year for shortstops overall, and it's not like he ran away with the, with the voting. But he is right there at the top with, with the rest of the, the top-end shortstops in, in the country. And uh, if he goes out and, and performs this spring, much like he did over the summer, then he, uh, he easily could, could find himself going pretty high you know, in the first round. Yeah, you know, I was up on the Cape this summer. I was uh, working with the Chatham Angler, so I had a chance to see Smith a decent amount when he was with YD. And I mean, just from you know eye test, it was it was some impressive things that he was doing over at YD and garnering league attention. You know, league All Star, the league championship MVP. But I mean, Teddy, he wasn't the only guy in terms of Maryland that was having a great summer up there. You look at a guy like Nick Dunn, uh, who's just a sophomore now, one of the younger guys up on the Cape, and it seemed like he opened some eyes as well, even though he had been kind of on everyone's radar maybe a little bit more yeah i think people have known about nick dunn uh when i was you know when, when you're looking back and uh you know, he had a such a great freshman year and uh he was a bit of a known quantity coming to maryland even um you know, he's a big part of the reason why maryland's recruiting class that class is ranked uh in baseball america um but what he did summer against Top arms with a wood bat. I mean, that always means something, no matter how much people know you. And so, I, I think he he definitely did well for himself there. And you know, he he still has plenty of time to, to continue his development. Um, you know, as as we look to the 2018 draft. Now, you guys named him the best pure hitter in the Big Ten as part of that Big Ten preview that you put together. But what does that what does that mean exactly? 
Uh, so I actually am not a huge fan of that tag. Uh, <laughs> what would, what would you call it? What would you call it? Um, well, so the problem I have with pure hitter is that it's I, a little, it's a little I vague, maybe. Well, it people know people in the scouting industry, you know, have, feel like it, it probably isn't that vague, but I, I think it is a little vague to the, the greater public. Uh, but basically, what that means is who is the best bat to ball hitter who has whose contact skills are the best and, and who who's going to hit be be in the best position to hit for a high average uh you also maybe could look at as who is most likely to win a batting title okay so you could maybe break it down from pure hitter into you know best contact hitter or best hitter for average or you know maybe best plate discipline in some sort of fashion well, we also have best plate discipline, or I guess it's best strike zone di- discipline. So it's not quite it's it's that combined with uh, your bat to ball skills. Um, it's kind of the whole package. I, I, I guess the best way is like who do you who is out there that's going to who who would grade the highest on the hit tool, um, taking power out of the equation, and who uh, and that that basically equates to who is. Um, who's going to have a high batting average, who's going to be in the mix for, for a batting title. So it might be like your Jose Altuve at the major league level. Absolutely. Altuve, uh, Miguel Cabrera comes to mind. Uh, obviously, he also has the power <laughs> right, aspect right. of it. But if you, if, you would, if you take his power out, he still has a really high hit tool grade. But yeah, Altuve, Miggy Cabrera, uh, guys of that nature. So Nick Dunn, the best pure hitter, you know, regardless of how we feel about the name of that accolade, um, but you know, what was the conversation like with with Nick? Uh, well, you know, we for for those tools, uh, we get we ask the coaches to uh, to vote. It's not a strict ballot, but I we ask them to vote, and um, you know that that helps develop a list for us to um, you know to to really pick from. And he uh, what he does so well. I mean, he he. He's got good strike zone discipline, and he also just he makes a lot of contact. Um, you know, he really is a he's able to, to put the bat on the ball an awful lot and, and hit good line drives. Uh, and he uses the whole field to hit. Uh, he just has good feel at the plate, and and that's what you saw last year, both on the Cape and at Maryland. You know, he's a you know, he, he's ranking pretty high in, in terms of batting average in the Big Ten as a freshman, and, and that should continue uh, as, as he gets older, more experienced, a little stronger, um, you know, and his career continues. Now, on the subject of those those accolades as part of that preview, another one that went to a guy on Maryland's roster was best fastball for Brian Schaefer. And, I mean, I guess what what does best fastball necessarily entail? Is it speed? Is it movement? Is it control? Or is it all, kind of all three? That is um, an ongoing uh, debate, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I don't mean I didn't mean to not... be poking any holes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that, we we do these um, for the minor leagues as well, and like the during the summer. Um, so we we name like all of these um, for the for the minor leagues, and those strictly are voted on by like the league managers, and you know, we don't give them a whole lot of instruction. So some of them, I think. Uh, we, we leave it open to, to their interpretation. I, I mean, I mean, best control seemed like kind of a no-brainer with Bloom and his strikeout-to-walk best ratio from last year. Is, is very simple, yes. <laughs> but when you talk about best fastball, it's not just about 
um, the radar gun. It's also talking about uh, that you, you can incorporate life into it. Um, maybe some of the deception that, that a pitcher has plays into it, but mostly we're talking about whose fastball is the hardest to hit. Um, and that is going to mean it's a hard fastball that, that they're throwing it with some power, but it also probably has a little bit of life. So you can't be throwing, um, you know, 94 and it just be very straight. Probably you, you, you probably need to, to have a little bit of life on it um, for, for that to, um, to, to, for you to win that kind of category. Now I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, kind of the Big Ten as a whole and how Maryland kind of fits into that conference, you know, going forward. And, you know, a little bit more of a national perspective, too. But before we get there, there's, you know, one more guy that I want to touch on in this Maryland roster that didn't get any of those kind of specific accolades but was there on your prospect list, and that's Marty Costas, who, you know, by, for all intents and purposes, might have had just as good of a freshman season in some capacities as Nick Dunn did, you know, leading the team in home runs and, you know, one of the best freshmen in the Big Ten in terms of home runs and showcasing some raw power. And I guess, I mean, there's a theme here, Teddy, where, you know, Marty's a guy coming out of Baltimore, played three sports in high school, played shortstop in high school, and then all of a sudden becomes, you know, one of the best left fielders in the Big Ten, moving over to right this season. Where where do you guys kind of see him, you know, when it comes to, I guess, position players or bats in the Big Ten Conference? Well, if you're talking performers, obviously he you have to you have to rank him pretty highly uh, given what he did as a freshman. Uh, you know, you want to see how he does as a sophomore now that the league knows him a little bit better. But it was obviously a very impressive uh, freshman season. But if we look at it from a more prospect standpoint, he's a tough profile. He's a little smaller as a corner outfielder. He's he's not the prototypical uh, profile. So. When scouts go to evaluate him, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what he looks like uh, in, in terms of that. But for Maryland, he's a very good player, and, and he's a, a very good player within the Big Ten Conference. Hey, let me tell you, he puts on a show in batting practice. I I can imagine. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you when you look at him, you wouldn't necessarily expect it, but he. Uh, I mean, there's there's some juice in there for sure. Oh yeah, no it. it... The, the ball travels off that bat pretty pretty quickly. I think uh, sometime this fall he hit one, you know, out, over over the fence out of the stadium, and um, I don't think anyone on the field actually moved. They just kind of knew it was gone, and you know, it was okay. Let's get a new baseball. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are the kind of fun. It, it's fun to watch those those guys take BP, uh, and uh, you know, it, it's even more fun to watch a guy like that play in the game. I you know, I think he, uh, I think Maryland has a few players like that, but. The Marty party, I mean, it, it's a real Oh, it's thing. great. It is a party. <laughs> last, I mean, last year at Fullerton, uh, I think he had, he had a home run over the scoreboard uh, out in left field, and that was probably one of the farthest of the season, at least for the Terps. I mean, to poke one out there is, uh, I mean, like, first of all, you're facing a really good pitcher at Fullerton. And then, you know, out, out there, the – they don't hit a whole lot of home runs in the Big West Conference because of the, the stadiums and, and their pitching. So if you can do that there, uh, I mean that definitely that definitely says something early in your freshman year. Like, okay, this is uh, you know you're ready to go. And, and I think that among many things, but that really maybe is what stands out to me the most about what he was able to do last year is how just how ready he was to go as a freshman. It's hard to play college baseball. It's hard to make that transition. But he uh, it, it went very smoothly for him last year, and I think that's an important sign. Uh, not just in terms of his readiness, but if you're able to do that, you should be able to, to continue that throughout your career. And, 
and make the kinds of adjustments that, that you need to make as a baseball player as uh, you know, pitchers uh, start pitching you other ways as, as they get more, more used to you and, and what you're trying to do. So you know, I, I think his preparedness as a freshman, um, obviously it helped him and Maryland last year, but I think that also should continue to help him uh, as, as he continues to uh, you know, make these adjustments that, that you have to make as a, as a player. Yeah, we touched a little bit on Fullerton and you know, you guys coming out with your, you know, crystal ball projections for the NCAA tournament and Fullerton always a team that's seems to be the the favorite to win the Big West and one of the top eight national seeds projected by you guys. And you have the Terps as the number two seed in the Clemson regional. Um so nationally, you know, we have Maryland at, at twenty four from baseball America. And in the Big Ten we mentioned earlier how the Terps kind of the consensus pick to to win the conference. But there's only other one other Big Ten team that you guys have in there so far as Nebraska. So how does kind of the Big Ten do you think stack up nationally? Uh, well, I can tell you that I wanted uh, to find a way to jam more Big Ten teams in, and we just we just ran out of room. Uh, I think Michigan um, is going to going to be very tough this year. Um, but you know, the Big Ten uh, this year it, it's it's a little bit difficult to, to get a read on there. There are a lot of teams that had some turnover over this last year. Uh, you know, you think about Ohio state, the big 10 tournament champions, uh, you know, they lost Ronnie Dawson. They, they lost several important pieces from last year's team. So how do they, how do they move on after that? How does, uh, how does Minnesota move on uh, without, you know, the big 10 player of the year without their, their starting catcher from last year, obviously they, those were very important pieces to the big 10 regular season champions. So it, there's been some turnover in the conference and it'll, It'll be very interesting to see how these teams, um, you know, are able to replace some of these key players. And I think we'll know early on in the um, the non-conference season how that's going, uh, and, and that'll be key uh, for these teams to to get some RPI uh, because that that obviously is, is critical. As we saw last year, Indiana RPI wasn't good enough, even though they finished in the near the top of the the conference and were one of the best teams in the conference, but their, their non-conference had just gone so poorly that they weren't able to dig out of that hole. So some of these teams are going to be a little younger this year, and they're, they're going to have to play well out of the gate, which is never easy for, uh, for teams coming from the north. But if they're able to do that, then this conference could, could get back to uh, having several teams in the tournament like they had the, the last couple of years. And I think, you know, as far as Big Ten coaches go, you know, first off, all coaches are – seemingly obsessed with RPI and you know Maryland said coach John Chef is no different and I think he's one of the you know tougher schedules when it comes to his non-conference slate and it's no different this year you know a series at LSU down in Louisiana a couple weeks from uh from now starting the tournament uh starting the season at the tournament down in Clearwater uh Louisville featured in that one uh a midweek series against UNC Wilmington a, a home series against Bryant I mean what do you make of Maryland's non-conference slate and how will that help them come selection time I mean, it's definitely a tough one. Uh, that Clearwater tournament is a good one. Going to LSU is obviously very difficult. I mean, they're a top five team in the country. Um, and, you know, Bryant isn't as good this year as they were last year, but that's still, uh, that, that should, that's not uh, a typical team coming from the Northeast. You know, that's a, that's a team that definitely can compete. Um, so it's a good non-conference schedule, and that will help them in terms of RPI, but it also – it is just important for you know to, to play the kinds of teams that you'll see in a regional, so that you can get used to that competition and get used to it. Um, you know, going into the Big Ten, I mean, it, it's not like the Big Ten slate 
is going to be easy. There are trips to Indiana and Illinois and Nebraska, um, and you got Michigan right off the bat. Uh, they're they're at home, so you, you got to you got to schedule tough because you're going to have to play those teams eventually. And you know it's better to find out what you've got um, before the conference season starts. So I guess uh, uh, we'll wrap up, Teddy, with kind of your final thoughts on Maryland. You know, is this the year that the Terps can kind of break down that wall and get to Omaha for the first time in program history? You know, it certainly could happen. Um, you know, obviously making the, the uh, back-to-back Super Regionals, uh, they've got some experience in terms of uh, playing in, uh, turn- in the NCAA tournament and, and playing in big pressure situations. There, there are several players on this team that, that have played in uh, in the tournament and, and pitched in, in, in important innings and taken uh, crunch time at-bats. Uh, so, you know, they could do it. They absolutely could do it with, with Bloom and Schaefer at um, – you know, at the front of the rotation, uh, if Kevin Smith and McDunn have the kind of years that they're capable of having, I mean, you got a lot of the pe- a lot of pieces here that that are that give you reason to believe that that they could be a dangerous team in the tournament. And wherever they uh, end up, you know, whether they're hosting a regional, um, your teams aren't going to want to go there. Uh, and I, if you're if they don't host, I don't think anyone's going to be very excited about seeing them pop up as the number two in, in their regional. So. Uh, they're going to be dangerous. You never know what can happen in the NCAA tournament. You know, we've seen that the last few years. Uh, you can just ask Louisville um, about that. <laughs> you know, last two years, uh, you know, host a super regional and uh, lose it in heartbreaking fashion. So, and you never know. But um, once you get there, you know, you, you have a chance. And this Maryland team certainly should be able to get there and, and should be able to uh, make some noise once they get there. Well, Teddy, thanks for uh, joining us on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. It's always great to read your work in Baseball America. We look forward to following along in uh, in 2017, and you know the entire season is, you know, Maryland tries to get to Omaha for the first time. Teddy, thanks again. Well, thank you very much for having me. So that'll do it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Zach Jankarski and Teddy Cahill for taking the time to join us on this edition. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at mdbaseballnet. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mdbaseballnet to get the latest info on your Terps baseball team. Also, if you're listening to this podcast through iTunes, thanks for subscribing. If you're listening through our website or on SoundCloud, go ahead and subscribe to the MBN podcast in the iTunes store to have it sent straight to your phone as soon as it's posted every week. So for Liam Beatus and the rest of the MBN staff, I'm Jake Eisenberg saying so long until next week. Tune in this weekend as the Terps open up the season in Clearwater against Ball State on Friday night at 7 o'clock.